Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We've covered uh, many things during the pandemic, challenges to uh, most of our uh, daily activities, but we haven't talked about this. We're going to talk about uh, challenges to religious congregations presented by the pandemic. We'll talk about changes in uh, religious communities, what the future might hold, uh, what changes perhaps are going to be permanent in the future. Uh, Later in this program, we'll be talking with Matthew Bowman, Howard W. Hunter Chair of Mormon Studies at Claremont Graduate University, Carudas Adikari, President of the Spanish Fork in Salt Lake City Krishna Temples, and Rabbi Samuel Spector of the Congregation Kol Ami. Right now, in this part of the program, we are going to be joined by uh, Corey Hodges, pastor of the Point Church. Uh, Corey Hodges, welcome to the program. Good morning. How how are you doing today? Oh, doing uh, well. To Do, be here today. Doing well. Hope you're doing well as well. Uh, and happy to have you with us, Pastor Rogers. We also welcome in this part of the program the Reverend Martin Diaz, uh, rector and pastor of the Cathedral of the Madeline. Um, Father Diaz, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. Good Good morning to you. Well, let me start with you, uh, Pastor Hodges. Uh, t- tell me just uh, briefly uh, about the Point Church. One more time, I couldn't have a hard time hearing oh, uh, you. Sorry about that. Uh, tell me a little bit about your, your church, the, the Point Church. Yeah, awesome. We are a church about 94 years old. We were established in uh, 1923 um, by uh, seven African-Americans that uh, had moved to Utah. We were most recently located in Taylorsville, Utah, off of um, Redwood Road and 6200 South. And about 10 years ago, we built a new facility over in Kearns, in the Kearns community, uh, 5133 South Heath Avenue, um, and we changed our name to the Point Church. We are a multi-ethnic church representing over 33 different um, uh, ethnic families and uh, communities, and we are very excited about how God is uh, blessing us in the, the idea of multiculturalism. Uh, we are a church that we call ourselves a multicultural community. Uh, evangelical Christian Church. So that's just a little bit about us and our history. All right, thank you. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Father Diaz, uh, you know, a lot of us be aware of the Cathedral of the Madeline. Uh, remind us, and uh, I think you know, a lot of folks uh, in normal times <laughs> make their way to and through the, the cathedral. Yes, they do. It's a very beautiful cathedral here in Salt Lake City, and. Uh, we welcome people every day, and people come in, sit down, and pray. And we've um, we've been in downtown for 150 years, and the cathedral uh, building itself is from 1909, and so over 100 years of this. I think it's a magnificent cathedral. I just love serving here, and uh, we serve, of course, our own parish congregation, but people throughout the state and around the world make their way into the cathedral. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Pastor Hodges, um, let me start with you on this this question. We're going to be asking everybody. Um, you know, the whole the whole point of uh, congregations, or one of the whole points, is to come together, worship together, right? Uh, what what, what obvious problems, of course, during the height of the pandemic? How, how did you guys handle that? I mean, it's, it's been a, it was a very challenging time. Um, you're absolutely right, because part of gathering, a gathering is a part of the Christian experience, and uh, certainly gathering in person, uh, which we call in the Christian church, we uh, koinonia, the idea of fellowship, that Greek word there, koinonia, which means coming together. And, uh, and then there are scriptures that encourages 
um, uh, followers of Christ to gather together, to experience life together, to come together for prayer, for worship, and for singing. And so during the uh, pandemic, when um, when the churches were closed, you know, uh, due to uh, mandates or what have you, and, and the pandemic and health concerns, uh, uh, this made for a challenge for sure. Uh, so we had to come in and uh, create uh, new ways. I think, you know, all religious houses of faith and communities uh, were challenged to um, to embrace the uh, technology that was at, uh, available to us, uh, Zoom calling for meetings and small groups and uh, Facebook and YouTube and streaming services to stream the sermons and the services and the worship and tried to make sure that there were, there were uh, chat communities and uh, uh, other uh, electronic means to that as best as we could foster this idea of community and fellowship. So, uh, yes, it, it was challenging, but I think in a lot of ways it uh, uh, it helped us to uh, become more creative and uh, with our thinking and processes. What what's been the feedback? What uh, what did people you know the challenges? Obviously, um, did did people feel like they were getting the worship experiences they needed and wanted through through chat and stream and, and all that? You know, I think uh, this is, uh, for, for, some, for, some, for some people, they feel like it was a generational thing. Of course, you know, uh, uh, our millennials and, uh, and younger and uh, that generation, they were quite comfortable with uh, online services. Um, um, you know, it, it, you know, they were doing it in, at the colleges and universities, and, uh, and so they kind of adopted it a little quicker, uh, a little easier for that generation to uh, sign on to uh, to appreciate to enjoy online worship. I think for some other generations, uh, Generation X and maybe uh, builders and boomers, uh, it was challenging because it was just an idea of uh, for some of them uh, uh, in that age group, just the knowledge of how to get online, how to experience uh, uh, online. Uh, but I think by and large, the feedback uh, was was two for one um it was refreshing because uh you didn't you, you didn't have to do as much preparation <laughs> to prepare for church and a lot of faith traditions you know uh it might take a while to be, get dressed and you got to drive and uh, and so some people really embraced the convenience of being able to have breakfast with their family and sit in the kitchen or dining area uh or in the living room or even in their bed and just watch the service online uh, others uh, felt like, oh man, this is really not the authentic uh, um, contact sort of fellowship that um, we, we were used to. I think as it relates to meetings, um, getting business done, a lot of people embraced that. Uh, but I think, I think overall, it wasn't a quick embrace. It took a minute for people to kind of get used to the tools and uh, to get used to to the. Um, uh, this new reality uh, that was forced upon us by this horrible pandemic. Uh, so it's been a mixed bag. Let me turn to uh, Father Diaz. Um, I, I was uh, looking at a uh, a Facebook uh, post that that you made. I think this was right in the you know it looked like April of 2020, like right at the beginning of the pandemic. One thing you said that in that um, in that stream, you were you're speaking to the camera. You said, well, without people coming to the cathedral, the cathedral would just be a museum. 
And I, that's kind of probably what you were feeling there without without people coming at that point. Well, yes. That April feels like a million years ago. And, uh, yes, um, we're a church without people is a museum. Uh, like us, we'd just be a beautiful building to come and look at, but we'd be nothing without the people. And I was certainly feeling that in in April when we were doing our services uh, on the streaming and sending out our message, but it certainly in my heart felt um, very lacking. And I, I found myself, you know, preaching my homily into the camera and trying to reach people and knowing people were listening and and um, and praying along with us. And even uh, I have to kind of laugh a little bit. We, um, Of course, we did Mass not only on Sunday, but every day. And uh, there were a, a group of morning Mass people who come every morning for Mass, uh, who we told them, you, you can't, we're not really open, you know. And so what they did is, they came and sat in the back of church so that they would not be on camera. So they didn't. They didn't go to communion. They they just came and prayed along with us in that silence, um, because for them, of course, coming to pray is the, you know central to their lives. And and I think what I find with people is that it built up in them a, a desire for more prayer that. When you miss something, you're like, wow, this is, this is really important. And as much as you can get the message, and just like Pastor Hodge was saying, you know, you can have the convenience at home. People are loving that and feels really good and, and that. And, but that, that being together with others is a, is a real missing. And we're all looking forward to coming back. And I think what maybe, when we thought in September that there was going to be kind of the end of this, people were flocking back. They were coming back in great numbers. Uh, we ourselves in uh, September had our uh, in-person um, bishop's dinner at the Grand America. And, you know, with spacing and spread out, fewer people, not the normal 500, but fewer. And people were just so delighted to be back together. And then, of course, now we're with Omicron, we're, we're back at it, and we're just waiting and waiting. I think the energy of coming together is so very positive. Yeah, so Father Diaz, it, it, it does sound, it sounds like just with the, you know, Pastor Hodges' congregation, sounds like people really have a hunger to, to be together, uh, and that's yeah. a big part of the their worship. Um, the, yeah, as you mentioned, there's a lot of up and down with this. What are you doing right now? Are you are you streaming, or do you have uh, people we're in open. and spaced? We're open, uh-huh. and um, so masks are required in the Catholic Church in Utah. Every parish, a mask is required. Some are still more into social distancing, and that um, we're trying to keep family groups together, trying to um, make sure that um, uh, people are safe. But I think um, I think we're all COVID tired, and um, it's. I think the masks and vaccination. We have a, ma- a vaccination clinic coming up on Sunday, um, trying to promote the best uh, health. Um, I mean, what I'm saying, healthy healthy practices, 
and that. Um, but we are getting a, a congregation to come back, um, more in the Spanish-speaking community than in the English-speaking community. And our Spanish-speaking community is younger, mm. so they, they have a, a, a kind of a quicker sense of not getting sick and that the older community is much more cautious mm-hmm. about and would have many more underlying conditions. Yeah, I, I could see. I was going to ask you about that, but that, yeah, I guess it is generational. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'll ask each of you. I'll start with Pastor Hodges on this one. Um, when we get back to a quote unquote uh, new normal, <laughs> whenever that is, w- right. will will you carry forward any uh, I don't know improvements, any changes that might become permanent uh, that you've uh, ways you've become creative during the pandemic that that you that you've said, hey, let, we're going to carry this forward. You know, yes, I think, uh, I mean, I think there are a lot of, there will be a lot of uh, post-pandemic lessons learned uh, for congregants of all faiths. I mean, uh, one one is the idea of embracing technology, embracing the streaming part. Uh, you know, one, one big thing is, you know, online giving and supporting the ministries, uh, you know, and so we would, we would embrace, I think Father Dia said, to, you know, we will, we probably will embrace more of those things that we most love and miss coming together, touch and hugging and praying for one another in smaller circles and uh, just the community. So I think there are some things that we will carry on from this pandemic. Uh, yes. Uh, continue after the pandemic is over. Go ahead, Father. I hear you jumping I in there. Is, is one thing that we've learned and uh, we'll continue to stream. And um, and then the online giving. I, of course, am hoping that online giving continues. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, sure. Uh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. It's been a challenge. I mean, and I, you know, I think a lot of models, at least for us, considering church models, are considering continuing to be uh, what we call the hyper, hyper, um, um, to do both, both in person and online, that model of never uh, just being in person again. I think that was a great lesson because I think I think that you um, we probably took for granted uh, a, a great number of people who would like to worship but did not want to put the time in to get dressed and drive and um, you know you, you either came you either came to church in person or you didn't experience that weekly spiritual lift that you need. And I think the pandemic has taught us that there's a whole pool of people uh, who would worship, who would love to uh, interact with, with that creator. Um, and, uh, but, you know, maybe they're working at night or they're working in the mornings and there's things that impede them from getting to a specific service on Sunday, but they can certainly do it online. And so I think it kind of showed us another, it, it's given us another avenue. And I don't think we'll ever take that group of people uh, for granted for granted again. And then, of course, I say this finally, then, of course, I I return uh, as much as we would like them to 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 the in person model. They will continue to worship online. Mm. Or uh, I think houses of faith. Well, we we gonna have to be serious about the presentation of our online and streaming ministry. The quality is what I'm saying. Mm. That it looks good. That it sounds good. That, well, that yeah. is that you try to create community with in that mode. Yeah, excellent. Uh, before I before I turn uh, again to uh, to Father Diaz, I want to reintroduce uh, folks. We're talking about 
uh, how religious communities have been affected by the pandemic and uh, perhaps changes that will be permanent going forward and uh, uh, changes that we would like to change back. Um, and we are talking in this uh, part of the program with uh, Pastor Corey Hodges, pastor of the Point Church, and uh, the Reverend Martin Diaz, rector and pastor of the Cathedral of the Madeline. Uh, so, <clears throat> Father Diaz, um, I wonder, you mentioned there a little bit, I wonder if you expand on that, uh, and any changes uh, that might become permanent, uh, creative things you've done that you've said, uh, hey, this will probably work going forward. What we did um, when we were not able to be in person, um, we started, so we, uh, our regular schedule is a morning mass at 8 a.m., Monday through Friday, and then uh, 5.15 in the evening, Monday through Friday. So we streamed our morning mass at 8 when we were locked down, and then in the evening we had private prayer, what we call Adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m., and then we offered the Sacrament of Reconciliation Confession during that time. So the priests were available for those two hours, anyone who wanted to come in for private prayer and for, um, and for confession if they wished and that. So once we were able to go back to having our 515 Mass, we kept adoration from 4 to 5 and confessions from 4 to 5 Monday through Friday. So we're going to keep that, and that's, that has turned out to be a, a wonderful time of private prayer, private meditation, and an opportunity for the sacrament of, of confession and reconciliation. So we'll keep that, and we'll, we, of course, we'll keep streaming our morning Mass as much as we're able. We stream two of our Sunday Masses, and, um, you know, I, I think it's helpful, the, the streaming for people who are in the nursing homes and homebound other people who, as Pastor Hodges says, just you know, they can't get out. I mean, they're working, they're moving. You know, things are happening, and and they're going to miss this week. But they can they can find us um, online easily on the Facebook and the YouTube channel. But mm. yeah. by, by the way, uh, Father Diaz, I, I notice on the on the Facebook page, your Facebook page, um, you have uh, Cathedral of the Madeline TV. Do you uh, is that up? That I'm noticing. I mean, it's it's, it's uh, focused on the the altar. Looks like there. Tell me a little bit about this. I didn't understand. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. Uh, on the Facebook page, your Facebook page, there's uh, looks to be a TV stream. Um, yeah, we have Facebook Live. Uh, Facebook Live. Yeah, yeah. Did did that predate the pandemic, or is that something you no. developed? No. So we were just as the pandemic was hitting. Just I mean, we had. Um, probably in the, the two months before, had invested uh, into to moving towards streaming. So we were moving slowly towards setting up a streaming system. And, of course, when the pandemic hit and we were locked down, we immediately, you know, went into that. And uh, so we started the YouTube channel and Facebook Live. So those are – we were heading that direction, but the pandemic made us get those, um, you know, more quickly, as it were. And, and I think, as Pastor Hodges said, is that our challenge is to keep up the technology, you know, yeah. people to do the streaming, people to, you know, cameras, lighting, um, all of the the sound technology, 
So it's it, that is going to be a challenge to keep the technology up to a um, you know as, um, to a level that would be um, people I don't know would enjoyable, but you know uh, an, an experience where you you want to tune in. It's not difficult to hear. It's not difficult to see. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Uh, so I'll start again with Pastor Hodges on this. We just have about three minutes in this uh, segment. Um, and you mentioned this a little bit, Pastor Hodges. I wonder if you could expand on this. Um, providing services. Uh, I'm imagining the need for service, uh, the need for, uh, you know, for food and, and other things uh, probably ramped up during the height of the pandemic. Yeah, this is one of the other benefits, I think, as well. Um, and by the way, we're also on YouTube and Facebook as well. On ah, YouTube, okay. Uh, yeah, the point SLC and then Facebook, the point church. But, um, but yeah, I think the pandemic gave uh, the houses of faith opportunity to, uh, uh maybe, maybe accelerate efforts, um, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, the mandates of, uh, Matthew 25, the gospel of Matthew 25. Uh, Jesus talks about the least of these, you know, those people who are less fortunate than ourselves, the have nots, or those who are struggling. And we were, we were, we were, uh, privileged to partner with, uh, one of the largest, uh, ch- Christian charitable organizations in the world, uh, called World Vision, right in the middle of the pandemic. And we, I think we as a church and a few other churches that partnered with us, uh, in the west, on the west side of the valley, we were able to distribute distribute over sixty thousand boxes of food, um, and uh, you know, free food on Saturdays for about eight weeks. Food trucks would come in and um, refrigerated trucks and uh, meals for families. And at first, we like we didn't know how the response would be, so we kind of geared up for uh, a nominal response. And then uh, once we started providing the service, we found out. I mean, the cars were backed up for miles and miles and miles, and not not just low income, because this pandemic affected people across the economic spectrum. Um, middle class people, you know, there was the there was the you know the Great Recession, not the Great Recession, but the recession that accompanied this pandemic and the loss, the job loss, and the resignations and things like that. And so, it was uh, people in need from all uh, walks of life and economic brackets, and we were able to do that. And I think the pandemic kind of, um, um, you know, facilitated our attention, uh, the place our attention on those areas of need more. Uh, and so we certainly took advantage of that. Kearns is a, our church is in Kearns, and it is a, a wonderful community. It's just food security. Uh, and so through, during the pandemic, we were able to minister and, uh, and to provide service to our wonderful citizens, uh, and neighbors right around our church. I know Father Diaz may know, uh, St. Francis is one of our neighborhood partners too. <laughs> and, uh, they're doing uh, lots of great community services there, uh, in the Kearns area. So, yeah, it, it did give us opportunity to uh, really stretch ourselves as it relates to uh, human services, food security, and, and things like that. Well, the Diaz, same question to you. Ed, uh, I guess challenges providing services, probably need for services increased during this time. We, um, we already have our Good Samaritan uh, program, which provides 10,000 sandwiches a month in downtown Salt Lake City. So what I find what found is that as we were asking people, as we partnered with like Catholic Community Services and and others in our area, that um, the donations from people were quite quite generous. Um, our people were coming through with with uh, the financial donations to make 
um, our assistance possible. And I, I, and I know that I think that's what I found partly in the pandemic is that people had a sense that um, they weren't alone in this, that, that they were, the trouble that we were experiencing was a, you know, city, nation, worldwide trouble. And that we need to stand together and work together. I mean, just as Pastor Hodges was saying, finding out where the need was and making donations and stepping up. Um, I think the generosity of people is uh, to be commended. And, um, and our, our, our food program um, did not diminish at all. And we were able to sustain all that we needed to do to help the people that were able to in, in downtown Salt Lake. Well, we're out of time for this segment, um, and to appreciate the conversation, this part of the program, uh, you heard right there from the Reverend Martin Diaz, rector and pastor of the Cathedral of the Madeline, who's joined us uh, for this part of the program. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having us, and thanks yeah. for the service that you're doing with the station. Oh, thank you. Pastor Corey Hodges right there, pastor of the Point Church. Uh, thank you for joining us as well. Thank you. Uh, We're going to take a break, and we'll come back with uh, three uh, additional religious leaders. Um, Matthew Bowman, Howard W. Hunter, Chair of Mormon Studies at Claremont Graduate University. Uh, Chadudas, rather, uh, President of the Spanish Fork and uh, Salt Lake City Christian Temples, and Rabbi Samuel Spector of Congregation Kolami. We hope you'll join us as well following this break. This is Gina Wicklor for Bringing More to Life. Aging adults benefit from social support, which is essential to living independently longer. Positive social experiences in late age are linked with immediate health benefits, including better immune function. Research shows that even if they don't remember, positive social interactions with persons with dementia yield more positive behavior and higher well-being, both short-term and long-term. Whether at home or in a care facility, find time to interact with an older adult, with or without dementia. Simply listen to the person express his or her thoughts, feelings, and needs, and you will both smile. Support for Bringing More to Life on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the Retired and Senior Volunteer Program of Cache and Rich Counties, bolstering social support and well-being of aging adults and family caregivers. Information at sunshineterrace.org slash RSVP. Are you looking for a way to make your nonprofit organization more visible to our statewide community? Well, we'd love to support your events on our UPR community calendar. Head to upr.org, click on the community calendar tab, and there you can find the submission link. We highlight events including workshops, theater, art shows, dances, lectures, virtual events, and more. Again, you can just go to the community calendar tab on upr.org to submit your event. Support for Utah Public Radio comes from our members, and it's made possible today with a program day sponsorship from Chuck and Lou Gay of Menden, Utah, in remembrance of Richard McKaty, son and stepson, on his birthday. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We are talking today about challenges to religious congregations presented by the pandemic. What changes uh, have they made? Uh, maybe some of these changes will be in creative ways. Uh, we've uh, found solutions to problems will be, will be with us in the future as well. And uh, what effect does this have, uh, have had on uh, religious communities? Uh, we're talking now, bringing in this uh, half hour, uh, Matthew Bowman, who's Howard W. Hunter Chair of Mormon Studies at Claremont Graduate University. Professor Bowman, thanks for joining us. 
Of course. And uh, we bring in also Chandra Das, uh, president of the Spanish Fork and uh, Salt Lake City Krishna Temples. Chandra Das, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And we also have with us Rabbi Samuel Spector from a congregation Kolambi. Uh, Rabbi Spector, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Let me start with uh, with Matthew Bowman. Um, let me just have you. I'm going to have everybody kind of introduce uh, themselves a bit. Uh, um, what what are some areas of study, uh, Professor Bowman, that you uh, that you study? Yeah, I am uh, the chair of Mormon studies here at Claremont Graduate University. Um, I'm interested in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but also the other churches of the Mormon tradition. Um, and more generally, um, I'm interested in the globalization of religion and in new religious movements. All right. Uh, chat with us. Uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, Christian temples. We celebrate our 20th anniversary of the uh, Krishna Temple in Spanish Fork, and we were able to build another one from the ground up in Salt Lake City, which opened in 2019. We're heirs to what we like to call the Vedic culture of India. Our primary texts are the Bhagavad Gita, the Song of God, as well as a longer tome called the Srimad Bhagavatam. Um, and you have, uh, I don't want to forget this, uh, you have uh, a Festival of Colors coming up. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. March, thank Well, thank you for that. I'll send you a check later on. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> March 26th and 27th. We have it in Spanish Fork, and we have three others in uh, Ogden and Salt Lake City and one in Las Vegas also on April 16th. Okay, very good. We're, we're excited about getting into the full swing of things after a two-year hiatus, of course. Ah, yes. Yes, indeed. Um, and uh, Rabbi uh, Samuel Spector, uh, uh, tell me a little bit about Congregation uh, Kolami. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Sure. You are pronouncing that perfectly. Thank you. Um, we are in Salt Lake City, and uh, we are uh, a very unique congregation. Kolami means all my people. We're about 400 families, and... Uh, um, which is large by Utah standards, and um, what's unique about us is that we are affiliated with both the Reform and Conservative movements of Judaism, which, uh, to get to your topic later, um, has presented some interesting challenges during um, during COVID. Yeah, we will revisit that for sure. Let me return to uh, Matthew Bowman. Professor Bowman, uh, talking about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, what uh, what challenges have been presented to congregations uh, in, in in the church? Well, of course, as with so many religious um, movements in the United States, um, the major challenge has been um, whether or not to meet in person, um, and that is something that has really, I think, been hard on the church because it has a really long tradition of community and of gathering, not simply for worship services, but for all sorts of other um, meetings um, all throughout the week. Um, this has set the Church apart from a lot of mainline Protestant congregations where you only go to, you, know, you go and hear a sermon on Sunday and that's about it. Um, for the Church, meeting frequently together for a whole host of activities has been very important, um, and COVID has really disrupted that um, the Church leadership, I think, has, has been really erring on the side of caution, generally speaking, but I think because 
the importance of community so strong at the local level, there has been, I think, a little bit of a rift, oftentimes between what the church leaders have pushed for and what um, local groups have done, um, both in Utah and across the country. Um, and so uh, this, we, we continually uh, get to points where we think, okay, the panic pandemic's receding, and then it comes back in. We've got Omicron recently. Um, what, what changes uh, that you've seen in uh, among the Latter-day Saints that you, you think might become permanent? I know, uh, you know, uh, many congregations have been broadcasting uh, services. I think that will continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this has been um, you know, one of the adaptations, just hosting services via Zoom, um, and recentering a lot of formal practices of worship, um, that is uh, what, what members of the Church call the sacrament, or other Christian congregations call the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, um, being performed at home, um, study of Scripture being done at home as well. And what is interesting about that is, in some ways, I think the pandemic has accelerated um, some decentralization trends um, that the Church had already begun pursuing. Um, of course, you know, well-known, I think, among Latter-day Saints has um, been a shift made in the past few years that has lessened worship services on Sunday from three hours to two hours, and has moved some of that, um, what had been done in the Church House, um, like the study of Scripture and so on, to the home. Um, there's been curriculum issued, or um, families have been urged to use this curriculum to study the Church's standard works at home. Um, this, I think, largely has been a, a response to the globalization of the Church, and to the Church's really rapid growth in the global South. And, and in many ways, I think the movement of um, the critical mass of Church membership away from the United States um, and the pandemic has simply, I think, put, stepped the gas on that a little bit, and uh, church members in the United States may be experiencing more of what church members in Latin America or in Africa had already been experiencing. Uh, let me turn to Chatter Das. Uh, you mentioned Festival of Colors. Uh, this, we're back after two years. I assume that uh, has to do with the pandemic. But you talk about that and, and uh, how, how um, the pandemic has affected uh you know, folks getting together. I, I don't think that COVID has been transmitted much outdoors. Uh, you know, CDC said that, you know, to get it outdoors, you'd have to stand almost face-to-face with someone for almost 15 minutes or so. But nevertheless, you know, the shadow of it, the specter of it, has um, kept us from gathering, you know, the, the directives from the state governments and all as well as just the reticence of people to expose themselves and then consequently their children. So for one reason or another, um, we haven't gathered en masse for two years. We did have a little festive colors in September. We had about 5,000 people come. It was very, very ecstatic, quite fulfilling. People had a wonderful time. But we'll see, we'll see what the permanent effect, probably more uh, kind of... Um, uh, re- reflecting or revealing the future, I think, will be revealed in this this March March festival because we're we're back on schedule. But let's see if the public is as well. To be honest with you, ticket sales so far have been quite brisk, and so we're highly encouraged. But as far as um, moving forward, I think that prior to COVID, every, we're we're kind of focused and quite comfortably so on brick and mortar 
um, in-person gatherings. Hardly anybody, you know, ventured outside of that. And then almost simultaneously with COVID came, you know, Facebook Live, Zoom, um, all those different sort of innovations that um, helped us not completely fall flat with COVID. Of course, you can have your scripture discussions. I, I got back into the swing of scripture in a major way once uh, COVID started. I started doing five Zoom classes a week, and not only does a lot of our regular people attend, but we've picked up a lot of new people. It's been very refreshing and very rejuvenating for me because as a minority religion in a state that's overwhelmingly um, Mormon, for your daily scripture classes, um, it's it's all it's a it's pretty sparse to get people to come in person to the temple for morning and evening classes. The the, the Sunday gatherings is okay. The the, the gathering is is um, adequate, but uh, you know for for serious scripture study, you just don't have that many comers. But when you go on Zoom and Facebook, you've basically got the whole world as your potential audience. But you know, I've, I've been inspired to get more into scriptures and give more classes than ever before. So for me personally, it's been a renaissance. But I think, you know, generally speaking, we're, we're going to move into the future with a really hybrid situation. You know, we do what we can by gathering in person. We, we also, uh, in parallel, in tandem, do the Zoom, do the Facebook, do the broadcast. We also have had a radio station here in Utah Valley for over 35 years, um, and it's, 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 it's not as easy, it's not as uh, pat as it had been before. It's more challenging, and, and it's more elusive, both, both the brick-and-mortar gatherings, the persons. It's more elusive to get that crowd. That crowd is not there, probably in the same level of commitment and quantity as it had been. And then, of course, you know, it goes without saying that going Facebook Live and Zoom is also elusive because you don't get to, to meet people and to get to know them in terms of the details of their lives, you know, which is what really cements relationships. So, um, you know, the whole period has been a period of uncertainty, and, 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 and the future is, is full of uncertainties, but then again, the only certainty is God. So if you think, if you think something's certain, well, you're, you're off. Because <laughs> nothing's certain except except the hand of God, and whatever happens, He has a purpose for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Let me turn to uh, Rabbi Samuel Specter, Congregation Kolami. Um, tell me about the challenges that, that, that you've faced, and maybe some creative ways you've uh, used to, to to address those challenges. Sure. So, um, like, it sounds like my Latter Day Saints brother and sisters. Uh, we've unfortunately had to. Uh, not have food, which is an important part of our tradition as well. We've been able to move some of that outdoors um, uh, for a little time, but now we're back in no food zone. But um, but where there's been a particular challenge is uh, that many people obviously cannot come to the synagogue and still don't feel comfortable doing so. Um, while many Reformed congregations for years have had live streaming services much prior to the pandemic, uh, for the conservative movement, um, this was not so comfortable for many of our congregants who felt that this was uh, endorsing the use of technology on, on the Sabbath or on holidays. Um, 
there's also challenges as well in that we need 10 Jewish adults in a room in order to be able to read from the Torah or to, uh, or to um, worship certain prayers. And so um, what, we, what we've done is we did start using live stream, despite the protests of several people. Um, and we, for our Zoom uh, services as well, we have decided that we can count people during this pandemic who are on the Zoom who we can see, because the Jewish law says that no matter how far a person is away from you, so long as you can see them, uh, they can be counted as part of that quorum. Um, where this has been something that we might keep, um, I don't think we'll be keeping, hopefully long-term, the counting on, on the Zoom, um, but where this is something that I think is going to change our congregation is that the live streaming of services, which, again, we had debated for years prior to COVID, uh, has enabled people who are far away. We are the closest congregation for people um, five hours away from here in Wyoming, Idaho, uh, uh, parts of southern Utah. Um, it's enabled them to be able to join us every week. It's been a, uh, it's been a venue for people to be able to join us uh, if they're hospitalized or if um, there's a person who cannot travel because of health reasons. This gives them an, uh, an opportunity to see their granddaughter's bat mitzvah when they wouldn't have been able to otherwise. So that might be something that that we keep, but I think a big challenge, just like um, my uh, Krishna brothers and sisters were talking about, uh, is that we're still struggling to get people back into the building um, and having that comfort level of coming into the, the building. I think a lot of people have gone very comfortable uh, watching um, watching services from home uh, or don't feel comfortable going out yet. So um, that's, that's the big challenge is how do we get people back into the habit of coming in person? We just have about uh, eight minutes left in the program. Uh, once again, around the panel here, we appreciate uh, our panelists here, Matthew Bowman, uh, Howard W. Hunter, Chair of Mormon Studies at Claremont Graduate University, Chadadas, uh, President of Spanish Fork and Salt Lake City Krishna Temples, and Rabbi Samuel Spector of Congregation Kolami. Uh, Professor Bowman, back to you. I want to talk about um, how, uh, especially the leadership of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, has navigated issues of religious freedom that in bold relief here during the pandemic with, uh, uh, you know, what many have uh, felt have been needed, government restrictions and regulations. I know uh, Elder Bednar from the, the, the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles of the Church expressed some concern about especially regulations in California. That uh, he, I think he felt, uh, you know, maybe went a little too far on the government regulation side. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah, um, Elder Bendar spoke particularly about um, regulations in California um, restricting gatherings um, of religious congregations, um, which was interesting to me. You know, because uh, I, I think certainly Elder Bendar feels strongly about that. Uh, but generally speaking, the guidance of the Church, uh, the highest leaders of the Church, has been um, to direct local congregations and local areas and, and what are called stakes um, to comply with the regulations in the county or state in which they are a part of. Um, so you will find, if you travel across California or across Utah, right, um, different congregations doing different things. 
Um, so I think, you know, while Bundar expressed his opinion, certainly the church leadership has been interested in complying um, with direction. Uh, now, of course, at the local level, you see um, different manifestations of this, um, particularly when it comes to issues of masking um, and that sort of thing. Um, members of, of the church have been among the least interested in getting um, the vaccine, um, and have been um, somewhat resistant to masking as well. And that is not something I think the leadership of the church is happy with. There have been repeated, um, one might even say pleadings, um, from the high leadership of the church to wear masks, to get the vaccine. Um, and that kind of, I think, the, the gap opening up there um, between the leadership and the membership is an interesting thing. That is interesting, and uh, uh, we're out of time here, but uh, uh, interesting to watch going forward. Potential tensions among congregants, right, uh, over, over masking yes. and, and such. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let me turn to uh, Chaturdas. Um, uh, you, you said something I wanted to have you follow up on, um, and, and I think not only in the religious life, but it just in regular life we're finding this. You said the details of the lives, hard, hard, to, hard to find out the details of people's lives over Zoom, right? And that that's kind of the social glue. Um, and so there's a, there's a tension there. Opportunities opened up through Zoom, but you're missing something, too. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, the relationships, the texture of relationships has to do with the the intimacies and the physical give and take and the unpredictable things that happen when you're in each other's presence, you know. Um, um, the, the, the spiritual world itself is a world of congregation. It's a world of sharing meals together. It's a world of enjoying festivals, music, and celebrations. Uh, all, all the things that bring us together in community and give us pleasure here are present in the spiritual world. And so we can't but suffer. We can't but feel truncated, you know, when some of those things are curtailed. But at the same time, uh, you know, I just want to briefly wind this up by saying, you know, you had pre-vaccines and post-vaccines. Personally, I don't think I would be alive today if it wasn't for vaccines, polio vaccines, scarlet fever vaccines, yellow smallpox vaccines. It's one of the reasons that our generation has lived as long as it has. So, you know, once the vaccine was available... Um, you know, we were able to meet with masks and keep our social distance, and and uh, and and nobody got sick. Um, and then and then it became then after that the restrictions are kind of we're we're restricting ourselves because of people that don't want to get vaccinated. And and I I personally don't feel like we have to go to that length. You know what I'm saying? I think the vaccination is the protection that we need. And if we need, you know, if we go ahead and protect ourselves and our children with vaccinations then we can go back to a pretty normal semblance of congregation and interaction. Let me turn uh, lastly to uh, Rabbi Spector. Just have a couple of minutes left. Um, I wonder, uh, you, you talked about um, you know some allowances, some changes uh, you needed to make there at Congregation Kol Ami um, during the pandemic. W- what of those do you think will go forward uh, and, and be retained as we hopefully come out of the pandemic? Well, I mean, like I said before, um, I think that uh, I, I think that we're going to maintain live streaming um, uh, as a, as a um, permanent fixture uh, in our synagogue. Um, I don't know that we'll necessarily be counting people forever over um, over Zoom, 
as part of our quorum. But, uh, but we do, I think, plan to enable live streaming. Um, uh, currently, we do require um, anybody age five and up to be vac- fully vaccinated to come into the synagogue. Do I know I don't have a crystal ball, so I don't know if that will always be the case, but um, but we will continue to uh, comply with CDC guidelines and the advice of our epidemiologists, and hopefully uh, someday this uh, this uh, um, we won't need to require that. Um, but I, fortunately, uh, one of the things with Judaism is that we are um, not just an heirloom; we're a living fountain, and we are um, constantly adapting to the challenges of the world, which is why we've maintained our survival. So we'll have to see how this pandemic continues to unfold. Well, we'll leave it there uh, out of time. Um, yeah, we'll see how this pandemic uh, continues to unfold. It's, uh, it's been great uh, speaking with you, Rabbi Specter from Congregation Kolami. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, also, uh, Chadadas, President of the Spanish Fork and Salt Lake City Christian Temples. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, Matthew Bowman, Howard W. Hunter Chair of Mormon Studies at Claremont Graduate University. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And uh, thanks uh, previously to uh, Pastor Hodges from the Point Church and uh, the Reverend Martin Diaz, Rector and Pastor of the Cathedral to Madeline. And thanks to you for listening to Access Utah today. On this edition of USU Extension's Ask an Expert, February Pre-Gardening Checklist. There's much that can be done now to get a jump start on the growing season. These tips with links from the Utah State University Extension Gardener's Almanac can help get you going. Consider adding a smaller structure, such as a low tunnel or larger high tunnel, to extend your growing season. Try your hand at starting vegetables or annual plants indoors from seed to get a jump start on growing. Consider growing herbs and or microgreens indoors to add fresh greens to your diet. If you're storing bulbs, check their condition to make sure that they're still firm. Remove any that are soft or rotten. Prune grapes and fruit trees in late February to early March. Fertilize fruit trees at least six weeks before they bloom. Monitor for deer and rodent damage in the landscape. Avoid fungus gnat infestation in houseplants by allowing the soil to dry in between watering. Many of our Master Gardener courses will be held virtually or as a combination of virtual and in-person classes this year. For more information about classes around the state, you can visit extension.usu.edu slash mastergardener slash find a program. Specific gardening information can be found at garden.usu.edu. There you'll find fruit, vegetable, and herb growing guides, information on soil, lawn, yard, tree, shrub, and flower care. In addition, our monthly tips, the basics of gardening, information on events, classes, and more. If you're a regular listener of Undisciplined, you've probably noticed some changes lately. That's because Shoshana Buxbaum, who took over as our lead host last year, has accepted a new position with Science Friday. Yeah, Science Friday. We're tremendously excited for Shoshana, even if we are really sad to see her go. But every change is an opportunity, and this change has given us a chance to work with some really great guest hosts. And I'm excited to tell you today that thanks to the support of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Utah State University, We've hired a new lead host. I think you're going to love Nalini Nadkarni. She's an ecologist, a teacher, and a really talented science communicator. And you'll start hearing her voice on Undisciplined this month.
It's time for Utah Public Radio's annual Art Mug Contest, and we're asking for your entries now through February 18th. You can use any artistic medium for your design. Just show us what you love about UPR, our programming, or our station's home here in Utah. You'll all get to vote on your favorite design, and the winner will be printed on this year's mug, available during our spring member drive. For more details, go to upr.org, and to submit, just send your designs to me, katie.swain at usu.edu, by February 18th. Support for Utah Public Radio comes from listeners like you and USU Extension's Healthy Relationships Utah Initiative, teaching how to navigate life changes, emotion, communication, and conflict. More information about community courses at HealthyRelationshipsUtah.org. And Utah State Theater, presenting a public panel discussion on women's historical roles in theater and literature on opening night of The Moors by Jen Silverman. Friday, February 11th at 6.45 p.m. at Logan's Downtown Lyric Theater. Details at theater.usu.edu. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide member-supported service of Utah State University, KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU-FM Logan, also heard at upr.org. Wednesday on Access Utah, we'll talk about the Great Resignation. Many people have not returned to the workforce following the height of the COVID pandemic. Several specialists from the Utah Department of Workforce Services will join us to talk about how this trend is affecting the labor force in Utah, the economic repercussions in the state, and what's being done to reverse the trend. Hope you join us Wednesday morning at 9 